This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the September 4th episode, and as always, we are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I am your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. Today, we are talking to Dave Cabin, the co-owner and senior fantasy analyst here at Rotoviz and the host of the RV flagship pod on Rotoviz Radio. Dave is amazing. Universal mind. He knows fantasy football. He's brilliant with metrics and also designed so many of the tools and the integral parts here at Rotoviz, which of course, one of the top sites all around. It's great, folks. Rotoviz is just getting to a new level, new Twitter account. So to have the man here behind the scenes who does so much on is an honor. Have to follow him if you're not already on Twitter at Dave Cabe and FF. Dave, always great to have you back on, man. The season is upon us. 2020 NFL season is here. Oh, glad to be here, man. You know, I, I appreciate that introduction. And I think, as I've said before, it's become such a habit to me that, you know, during the summer, I'm just anticipating Friday coming to listen to the mailbag on the way home from work. Now, this year, I've been working from home, so it's been a little bit different. Uh, I've been able to check it out a little bit earlier. Nonetheless, you know, I'm always looking forward uh, to doing so. And, you know, since we made the transition from uh, Germany, you, man, you've just been you just been keeping it up. So Mailbag still one of my favorite shows. So I'm glad to get to sit down and talk with you. Well, like we were talking beforehand, all of you guys, all the heavy hitters are coming early. So I, I'm, I'm coming out strong here. We're, we're blitzing in the first quarter. Hopefully we can maintain the energy <laughs> all the way through the season and beyond. So I appreciate that. Well, we're not going to bury the lead here, Dave. We're going to start with the big news of the week, and that's Leonard Fournette released by Jacksonville saying they could not find any takers for him in a trade. This is going to be our FFPC stat attack of the show. FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty Best Bowl and, of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. So if you want to learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And, of course, we have a ton of tools here at Rotoviz. I always have them open here on my computer when I'm drafting, specifically for FFPC domination. And we're talking about Leonard Fournette. He's 25 years old. Last year, when he was in Jacksonville, 100 targets. That was fourth among all running backs, but of course, with the touchdowns, only three. So Leonard Fournette, 1,152 rushing yards, the 100 targets, which was a huge increase for him, but Jacksonville does not want him there anymore. They've let him go. Head coach Doug Marone said they couldn't even get a fifth, sixth, or anything for him so I'm curious Dave what do we make of the Jaguars backfield now and more importantly where do you think Lenny is gonna go 
Yeah, you know, it's a crazy uh, happening, especially because I think it was last week I finally had taken the jump to writing something that spoke positively about <laughs> Fournette. I thought that we'd gotten close enough to the season. You know, now this is not that I really like Fournette, but you reach a point where if everybody's letting him slip, you know, every player has their price. I finally decided to write about it. That proved to not be a good decision. But I think that uh, when we're contextualizing this maneuver here by the Jags, I don't think that uh, it's necessarily reflective of the player that they view him to be. I think there's other factors going on there. And what you know we also are seeing here is somewhat of a reflection of the way the league is starting to view the running back position. Very I think true. these yep. NFL teams are starting to catch up to you know what we fantasy analysts have been saying for a while now. Um, so I still think that eventually he's going to get picked up. Does it happen before the season? I'm actually not so sure. You know, if you'd asked me two days ago, I would have said, you know, there's maybe a 55% chance he gets picked up. Now I'm not too sure, but he's still a player that has two 1,000 yard seasons under his belt, you know, through not that long of a career at this point. Um, he's shown that he can catch a lot of targets when they're given his way. He's got the body to carry a heavy workload. We're in an odd situation right now with everything going on this year. So there's not a lot of lead time up to the season, but I still think that we see him end up with the team when he does. You know, obviously the situation's going to impact that, but I could still see him having value. Of course, you know, it's hard to even speculate on what that might be like at this point. Yeah, I saw right before we went on here that there's a strong rumor that he's going to Tampa Bay, which I may not be able to pod here for a few weeks, Dave, my investment in Ronald Jones, if that happens. <laughs> but the Patriots I saw, the Bears, of course, with Montgomery. It's curious. The only one who's come out right now and I heard said that they're not interested are the Rams, and they had talked about him going there. But any of those teams make any sense to you? I think you could make a case like for any of those teams, especially because they're going to be getting him for fairly cheap, right? So the, the Chiefs one would be interesting. The Tampa Bay one, though, really would be super interesting. And I oh. can see reasons why it might make sense for Tampa Bay. You know, as somebody that was so into Keyshawn Vaughn, that will really break my heart. We have so many yeah. Rojo truthers out there. Um, it would break their hearts, too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I can see how that could make some some sense for them, especially with a coach like, you know, Bruce Arians and all of the players they have on there that on that team. Now, I'm sure they could come up with something. People are talking about Divina Zigbo in the backfield. I, I just don't see him being fantasy relevant right away. It's more wait and see approach. I mean, you're not starting a Zigbo here at the beginning of the year. Who knows? But I'd have to leave him on waivers and see. I'm not investing, but I am investing, however, in Gardner Minshew and DJ Chark. I, I think they can take off. You and Mike Beers teamed up recently for an FFPC Football Guys Players Championship draft. That's a pretty deadly combination. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're using two of the Mount Rushmore guys here, uh, you know, in that event. So talk about the scoring and how the draft went for you guys, because, you know, right now we're in the middle of season of league draft. So I think it's really topical. And, and how'd your team end up? Yeah. So as I'm sure a lot of people know, the FFPC uses tight end premium scoring. So you have regular PPR for all positions except tight end, where the tight end gets one and a half points per reception. So clearly that inflates the value of the tight end relative to other positions. Uh, and when we're in a type of league like this, especially in this season, where you have those four kind of like elite tight ends. Mike and I both agreed from using some of the tools at Rotoviz, looking at best ball results, looking at some, you know, different things that we will consider as we're building a, a, a and constructing a roster 
the importance of tight ends. So we knew we wanted to get one of those tight ends early. Of course, you know, Mike and I, big fans of zero running back. Um, a lot of people did not like this squad at all, but we think that it went very well. So we got the 12th spot, which is interesting because it's good practice as we will be teaming up once again for a um, actually tomorrow night. It's going to be Thursday the 3rd. Mike and I are drafting a main event team together. Nice. Um, so we got Devonta Adams and Julio Jones at the round one, round two turn. Then we got Zach Ertz, AJ Brown, Diggs, Gallup. And what I really like was what we managed to do for running backs where we got Cohen, Zach Moss, which I'm sure you're happy about, Philip Lindsay, Tevin Coleman, then Keyshawn Vaughn. Those were like, you know, our first, um, and, and Carson Wentz was thrown in the mix there. I think that was our first, uh, first 12 picks. So we felt pretty good about that despite what people said. And, you know, we had a lot of fun doing it. Mike and I, um, you know, we're working on a lot of things right now together. Um, we have pretty similar approaches, kind of the same career or similar career background. So we're, we're largely on the same page. Yeah. You know that, that I like that team. I think it's versatile. I think it's deep. Carson Wentz. I did a draft last night. Carson Wentz lasted in a P, a .5 PPR, three wide receiver, no super flex draft until the last round. I mean, I, I, Carson Wentz could easily light up the sky. I understand Rager's hurt and, you know, no Alshon Jeffrey, but I, I think you have good value there. And yes, you, you mentioned it. Zach Moss, is he someone who's, who's going up your draft boards here? I've been on Zach Moss since the beginning, so go ahead. Yeah, no, I um do like Zach Moss. Um because you have a player here where I see a very easy path to, you know, a decent amount of usage on a weekly basis and then a path to really consuming all of the work there. I know Devin Singletary really surprised me last year. His profile, I actually wrote about it in a couple of pieces, I thought was one of the worst that we'd seen in a while, especially at that small stature, that really abysmal speed score. He did prove me wrong. But though I wasn't enamored with Zach Moss, there are reasons to believe that he's better than Singletary. And I think that there's opportunity there for the taking. And when I can get him in a zero running back configuration in round eight, you better believe I'm taking it. Um, but why are you so high on Moss? Is it the same reasons? Is, is there anything else to it? It's similar. You know, I liked Singletary initially because he sort of had the receiving role last year. I wouldn't say he was terribly efficient, but he did look like he was going to step into a larger role. Then Moss comes in, a lot of uh, rushes coming away from Frank Gore's departure. And I just think Moss now is also a good receiving back. So I feel like he's Gore younger, maybe a little better at the goal line. Gore was not great at, at the, the goal line and he can catch passes. And I'm not sure if we can project Josh Allen, although you know I love Josh Allen, <laughs> to go from nine rushing touchdowns to eight. I think he's going to drop a little more. So I just see a large piece of the pie there and I see Singletary as more of a two-minute drill uh, sort of third down guy. And I, I think Moss could really step in. I feel like Frank Gore would have gotten more of the touches if he was younger um, as much as we love Frank Gore. So that, that that's where I'm thinking there. Yeah, man, I completely agree with you. So I, I was excited about that and I think I'm going to still be uh, going after Moss on uh, a lot of my teams as I kind of round out my team portfolio by the end of the summer. 
In round one, Dave, you know, people talk about round one. It's the easiest round because you can, you know, you have your pick. I, I think it's, it's one of the hardest picks that you make in the entire draft because you can't win your draft early or win your league with, with an early draft pick, but you can lose it. And so, of course, the most frustrating and, and, and sort of quizzical part of the first round is the tail end of that first round. Here at Rotovez, we love zero RB and, and Sean has made it popular, of course, and found massive success doing it no matter what. Uh, so, tremendous job and, and people are a little bit off it you know I know you did a pod recently with good old Matt Kelly fantasy mansion <laughs> and he's a diehard robust RB guy but I'm curious where's your line of demarcation in that first round so people listening are doing seasonal leagues right now where would you start to say you know I'm going to think of a wide receiver or you know Kittle Kelsey that sort of area where in the first round does that line fall yeah, I think that's one of the key questions this season for people that are looking to take some type of structural approach where maybe you'd be veering away from running back. Um, for me, my line comes after you go through McCaffrey, Barkley, Cook, Kamara, and Zeke in PPR. Yep. You know, if we're outside of PPR, I might add in Henry or Mixon. I actually don't have CEH in front of the uh, Michael Thomas line. Um okay. The reason for that is, though it's, it, 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 you know, it looks like it's going to be a slam dunk. I'm not sure that we really have a clear indicator at this point that he has the chances to separate himself like those players. I think that the guys I just mentioned really could put together a season similar to what McCaffrey did last year where they differentiate themselves so much that it makes me want to jump in front of Thomas and kind of go down a path, which would be modified zero running back, whatever you want to call it. But a lot of this for me really goes back to just the way that I'm taking that structural approach. But for me, that is kind of the the Michael Thomas line of demarcation. You know, it's actually funny that uh, you brought this up because I believe that the show Matt and I recorded earlier in the week, we actually basically called it like the Michael Thomas line getting at a similar idea. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. That's the guy. I mean, when you've led the league back to back in receptions, that's really the question. And I can tell you this with the Alvin Kamara news, one could make an argument that Thomas could be ahead of him. But I I know that running backs go early. But it, it, this leads into my second question: yep. uh, the flagship pod that you do with with Matt Freeman is much li- is is must listen. I have it on my rotation every week. It's fantastic. And you guys recently talked about how the sort of popular phrase that wide receiver is super deep this year is really misleading. Freeman said a great phrase, it's breath, not depth. So can you talk about this? You had mentioned this a lot and you think that this is a misnomer and and you provided some really great points. Yeah. So and this is one I've gotten a lot of pushback on. And I think that some of that pushback comes from people using deep in, in different ways. So though it's not the same thing to each person, I think that using that nomenclature for it can kind of be misleading. And what it ultimately comes down to, and I think Matt described it really well, as you said, you know, with being breadth, not depth, is that there are a lot of names of players that you can take and that you can say, this guy I can have as a wide receiver on my team, I'll be able to use him. But my pushback is how many guys can you really lock into your starting lineup and feel good about after round five? And that's really just being subjective. So for me, if I'm building a team operating on the premise that the position is deep and I I say grab like three running backs on my first five picks, I then don't really believe that I'm going to be able to add depth in my wide receiver core. So I think that it's misleading because we know how incredibly hard it is to have depth at running back. And some people have pushed back on me saying that wide receiver isn't deep, 
by saying, well, you know, in those rounds, I'd rather take a shot on the wide receiver than the running back. Um, okay. But because running back isn't deep, it doesn't mean that wide receivers because you'd rather have those players, though. I, I right. agree with that point being true. Um, but my my larger point there is basically that, um, you know, if you're trying to you saying that wide receiver is deep, I think to me means that you're going to be able to get depth at that position on your team. And. I think the other thing that we're seeing, too, is people are talking about the fact that teams are using more wide receivers, which feels like a good thing. But more or less, you're taking the same chunk of wide receiver fantasy points that they've been scoring for the last five years. And now you're just allocating that and spreading it across more players. So naturally, they're going to start to score fewer points, which is going to mean we have fewer different makers, fewer different makers. So we have more players to choose from, but they're scoring less points. You know, another way that you can look at this, and I know people will point to the fact that John Brown, the wide receiver, 24 at 14.7 per game, the wide receiver, 36 at 12.36. You know, those numbers are fairly close. In fact, we had a total of 58 wide receivers go over 10 points per game. There are stats like that, but John Brown, the wide receiver 24 was a wide receiver three or worse in 73% of weeks. Diggs was the 25th wide receiver in PPR per game. 67% of his weeks, he was a wide receiver three or worse. The next player on that list, Tyler Boyd, 69% of weeks, a wide receiver three or worse. Next guy, Sterling Shepard, a little bit better at 60. But then if you do an exercise, for example, where you take all the players that were drafted inside um, you know, like the top 48 at wide receiver. So they had wide receiver ADP of one through 48. And I pull that into a sheet and then I grab all of the weeks, all of the games that those guys played from 2017 to 2019. And I start looking at it uh, and I group players into cohorts of six. And I look at the player that would have been all of the performances coming from players that were drafted with a wide receiver ADP of 31 through 36. And I look at their weeks, 60% of their weeks, they scored under 10 points. So you might be thinking that this season is going to be different. And you look at those names and you get excited and you say, oh, look how deep it is. But we just don't see it play that out. When 60% of the guys that are going to be in that wide receiver three type of range are scoring less than 10 points in 60% of games. I just don't think that's that deep. Yeah, and people, Dave, I think forget a lot of times, I say this all the time, this is a weekly contest. So unless you're doing best ball, you have to set your week. So if you believe that wide receiver is deep, that's different because what you're telling me is that you feel confident that you can take those receivers that you've just outlined and know which one to play on a weekly basis. So sure, getting John Brown late or Brandon Cooks, who I've grabbed late, absolutely a great move. But there's that element of you have to know when to play them. Whereas with Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, it's set it, forget it, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the biggest thing that people uh, lose sight of especially when you're just looking at those point-per-game totals. So you might even even have just explained it uh, you know, in a much more concise way right there. So I'm completely on, on board with that. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. 
Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. At Rotoviz, we love titles. We love hardware. We love championships. We love winning. And we love it when you do it too. In 2020, one thing we want to win with you is the underdog fantasy best ball mania $1 million best ball tournament. It's $200,000 to first place. It's only $25 to enter. It's a no brainer. This is like the elite best ball title this year. So you got to go to underdogfantasy.com or download their great underdog fantasy app in the app store on your smartphone device. And you're going to make a deposit. You're going to use code ROTOVIZ when you make that deposit. Then you're going to go refer five friends and underdog and ROTOVIZ will give you a free entry into the best ball mania tournament. So it's, it's kind of like a two for one. You sign up, you put in 25 bucks, you enter the best ball mania tournament, you get five buddies to play, you use code Rotoviz, you get a free entry. No brainer, guys. Let's chase that glory. 200 grand. If $25 is too pricey for you, they've got a $5 tournament called the Bubble, and you can win 20 grand in that bad boy. Their app is slick. You click on the player's name, you see the ownership, you see the latest news and notes. You can draft from that app with no problem. Man, they really knocked it out of the park with this product, and I can't wait for you to try it. So go to underdogfantasy.com today, make a deposit, and use code ROTOVIZ, and chase that glory. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. Finally, with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite team and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use that promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout. You get your 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use that promo code BLUEWIRE. Talk to me about breakfast, Dave. It's the best meal of the day. It's the most important meal of the day. And Jake Seely says it's cereal. My question to you is, do you still go cereal? If so, what do you have? And if not, what was your favorite cereal as a kid? Okay, so I absolutely love cereal. And I can actually... I was on a long drive when I heard you talking about this with Jake, and it got my mind uh, kind of like swirling on. Oh, what well, I Dave, would... he had metrics all over the place. I know. I mean, he had it like. <laughs> I loved it. So I actually like almost thought of going through the process of using his, um, you know, his, me- you know, like his grading scale and all that. But I was like, given the time of year that it is, there's probably better ways for me to use my time. I still eat cereal. Um, however, though, I'm commonly eating um, whatever cereal my wife has gotten for my daughter that she isn't eating. Um, but sure. when I was a child, we didn't have that much variation or experimentation in the cereals that my mom would offer us. But every once in a while, I would get Captain Crunch. That was probably my favorite as a kid. Solid. Solid. We'd also have Apple Jacks, Apple Cinnamon Cheerios. Those are kind of if you're looking for like the not as... I guess I would call them like dessert cereals. They're a little bit better. Although I was bummed when I found out that cereals basically like all sugar. But the overall best, like if you're looking for a mixture of sweet, crunchy, you know, not something that's going to leave 
as much as I love Captain Crunch, that kind of like disgusting taste on your teeth, I think the best overall cereal that's never going to let me down is Frosted Flakes. So that's my go-to. And I think it has the best uh, flavored milk when you're all done and you get to drink the milk. So Frosted Flakes are unbelievable. That I agree with. And please tell me you're not like Jake. You put the milk in first. I, I think that's a, that's a, a no pun intended, a cereal killer move. <laughs> I mean, is, that, is that true? <laughs> yeah, I definitely do. I definitely do not do that. Yeah, that's that's a strange one. No smooth segue here. Serial killers to Zach Ertz. I'm just curious why Zach Ertz is so underrated. I feel like he, I feel like when people talk about tight ends, they say Kelsey, they say Kittle. Now they say Mark Andrews, right? Cause Hayden Hurst isn't there. Zach Ertz over the last few years, he's had at least 818 receiving yards each of the last four years. His reception totals 78, 74, 116, 88. And he's had 26 touchdowns at a position where the correlational value from tight end six to tight end 12 is perennially zero don't we love the consistency i just feel for some reason even on that team who right now have pretty much no wide receivers except for djx i feel like he doesn't get that much support yeah it's kind of um perplexing so as i was trying to think through what possible answers could to this could be the only things i could really come up with are maybe what we've seen is an effect of him being in the shadow of travis kelsey in what uh, you know is a terrific offense probably the best offense in the league then you have an upper and comer in kittle so there's really not this great narrative for him i think also we've seen that philadelphia offense be banged up you know season in and season out for a variety of reasons and somehow you know, the luster of the shine that that takes off of the offense is also getting projected onto Ertz. However, that's kind of counterintuitive because what we've seen as a result of it is that Ertz becomes so important and such a, you know, highly leveraged piece of that offense that it's actually led him to be, you know, ridiculously, like you said, consistent on a expected points per game basis. He was the first ranked tight end in 2019. He was two in 2018 two in 2017, three in 2016. I don't think that you need to say any more than that. And with what we already know this season, it looks like he is going to remain very easily in the top two of expected points per game at the position. Um, You know, people could be worried to some degree because I do think Dallas Goddard is really awesome. But, you know, this team's going to need both of them. So, I think it's very easy. He easily gets to a 23% target share, has good of a chance as anybody to see the, you know, not only the highest leverage, but also quality looks. So, yeah, I think it is kind of perplexing. Yeah, very fair. I agree. And he's, he's a guy that's sometimes falling fourth, fifth round in that area. And I mean, you're, you're getting locked in production. I like Dallas Goddard. Don't get me wrong, but I think Ertz is, is, has as high a floor as any of those guys. And he's very, very safe. Yep. Question from Keith in Broward County. Love the rookie RB talk last week with Curtis. I'm curious, where does Dave rank these running backs? I'm, I'm struggling specifically Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift. So it sounds like here, Keith obviously trying to get a running back and that sort of running back no man's land. Land, and he's curious two rookies acres or swift who, what do you think of both those guys i think that in terms of raw talent they're pretty similar players i really do um in terms of the prospects for fantasy given the situations that they find themselves in this year i think it's fairly close but i do have to rank acres ahead of swift um Henderson appears to be having some health issues. How serious those are, we don't know. Um, but he doesn't really have any established track record yet. You look at on Johnson, I think you could maybe make a more compelling case why Johnson would challenge Swift 
for opportunity versus what Henderson would challenge Akers for. Uh, and the other tiebreaker I would point to, given that I see them as fairly similar options, are the likely availability of touchdowns. So the Rams have, have had over 100 rushes from less than 10 yards out the last two seasons. Detroit only has 70. That could be somewhat misleading given that, uh, you know, Stafford missed a fair amount of games last year. Um, but to me, I think that's something that can kind of separate them apart. And then, like I said, the talent's pretty close. And then if you look at the football outsiders offensive line metrics, those are very close too for the um, the Rams and the Lions. So I can't really give an emphatic answer either way. But I do think that given what I just said, you rank Akers ahead of Swift. Going to quarterbacks now. Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz. I want you to talk about them in terms of, of dynasty, which is probably a little easier, or redraft. And what I mean by that is, is Dak is going, and I have him as my overall QB1 this year, but he's going around QB4, QB5, whereas I mentioned to you, Wentz is available extremely late. So I'm curious, dynasty, I think I know where you're going to go, but in redraft, would you? do you think it's worth it to take Dak much earlier than most quarterbacks, or are you going to wait and get Wentz, even though, like we mentioned earlier when we started the show, there are some question marks in his receiving core right now to start the year? Yeah, I and, and I love how bold you are with having Dak that high, and I actually love Dak. You know, last year, I made it a point to try and get him on a lot of my teams— uh, because I was looking at a player who was finishing as a, uh, you know, starter in a very high percentage of weeks, you know, um, finishing as a top 12 quarterback seemed more than likely. Uh, but I think the price for me has gotten a little bit too high for him. And I don't see him really being able to differentiate himself that much more than other quarterbacks that with the way I'm going to build my teams, I'm going to kind of reach for him in comparison to what I normally would do at the position in a redraft league. I do like him though, as a fair amount more than Wentz in redraft this year. And I think from a dynasty perspective, I like Prescott uh, better as well. And I think that, you know, People would have had the conception heading into this season or, you know, somewhere in last season that Wentz would have been the better dynasty option. But I mean, if you look at the players that Prescott's going to be playing with and he's been playing better than Wentz, I think he has maybe three top 24 options. And, you know, you he has Cooper and Lamb. Dallas has him under contract through 2025. There's also yeah. Michael Gallup through 2022 and Zeke through 2027. Uh, so I think that's a much better situation and one that I'd prefer to have in Dynasty than what we see with Wentz. I want you to settle sort of the big fantasy debates that we've had here on the mailbag. First one, Woods Cup. They're really the same person. They certainly go back to back <laughs> in all the drafts. But the Rams, last year, Jared Goff, most attempts for quarterback. Atlanta had the most team attempts, but for a single quarterback, it was Jared Goff. No Brandon Cooks, of course. We're, he we're hearing things that Van Williams, of course, is taking over now for Josh Reynolds as the third wide receiver. I'm sorry. We're hearing that Van Jefferson is taking over for the third wide receiver spot for Josh Reynolds. But I'm curious, Cup or Woods, where are you going there? Because if you're going to have all pieces of that pie and they're going to throw a lot, someone is going to do really well. I want to know who you think it's going to be. Yeah, and I definitely don't think that it's mutually exclusive in any way. But Cup is one of my favorite options this year. Um, when I run him through the range of outcomes tool and it looks at his top 50 matches uh, based on the parameters that it looks at, 
only three scored less than 10 points per game in their year N plus one. That is extremely impressive. And more of ha- more than half of that distribution is over 15 points per game. He's wow. also number nine in my subjective projection. So these are things I can't really overlook. But also, um, he's slated, actually, in my subjective projections for a little bit less work than Woods. But his touchdown scoring ability positions him ahead of Woods. So in 2017, Cup's first year in the league, he averaged 19 targets to every touchdown. Uh, In Woods' best season, he's averaged 17. But on Cup's career, he's been 13.5 targets to every touchdown. Um, Woods is closer to, I want to say it's like 27 in that same stretch of those three seasons that Cup would have been playing. So if you have two similar players and you're looking to break this tie, I think that you have to give the advantage to Cup. Yes, it's definitely a different season. I know people are speculating that they might be in 12 personnel more than 11, which has seemed to negatively impact Cup. But still, if I'm comparing these players, I have to give the edge to Cup. Very strong argument. Let's go down to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is one of these hot-button teams here that people need to handicap correctly. My question is, Dave, who's suffering? Because everyone likes Mike Evans because he has the boom weeks and he's had a 1,000 yards every year of his career. Only him and Moss have done this so far for the number of years he's been in the league. Chris Godwin was a breakout star last year as overall wide receiver, too. People love Rob Gronkowski. They said Rob Gronkowski's coming down there. He's going to have a fantastic tight end one year. I don't think so, but a lot of people do. O.J. Howard has looked great in camp. People say he's rejuvenated with Brady. All of these guys can't be great. So who's suffering there in the receiving game in Tampa Bay? (laughs) <laughs> That's such a hard one. I just want to <laughs> say Cameron Bray, but um, <laughs> <laughs> watch Cameron Bray get like six touchdowns this year and just frustrate. I mean, it's certainly possible. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give a completely non evidence based answer here, something that we don't normally do at Rotoviz. Uh, but as a Patriots fan, given what I've seen out of Tom Brady, and I'm probably so far off on this. I just think that he might prefer using Godwin over Evans. So when you have two players that people are drafting in high leverage rounds, and I think that there's a compelling, well, a completely non-compelling reason on evidence, but in my mind that I think he's going to use Godwin more. I guess I have yeah. to say that Evans would suffer, but uh, you know that's a pretty weak answer. No, that's totally it's totally fair. I mean, that's the thing, and that, that's when uh, Sigmund Bloom came on. He was talking about that. He thinks it's going to be Godwin. I mean, like that—that's the issue. Is someone has to? It, it, people are, are speculating, but you have to speculate. You can't just say that. Otherwise, Tom Brady's going to be like a top three quarterback. Last one here, David Johnson. Is he washed? What do you think about him? The reason I'm asking is because I feel like he is the last guy in the running back ADP that could really, you could see a path in the range of outcomes to get to a top five running back. If he's totally healthy and he's like the guy he was for the first eight games last year in that offense with Deshaun Watson, he has a chance as a top five running back. But if he's totally washed and it really is Duke Johnson season, which we'll all rejoice in some way if that happens, then obviously you want to avoid David Johnson. Where do you, where do you plant your flag here on, on, on the former number one overall running back? So Friedman and I actually spent a fair amount of time talking about this before especially last season and we both kind of came around to saying that he was washed and i think that there's many ways i could be wrong but with a round 480p in some ffpc leagues i'm okay being wrong on that um 
I don't want to test to see that, you know, because on one side, yes, like you said, he was a monster in the first half last season. Then he kind of fell off when he started dealing with injury. Um, I do think it's worth noting, and I have no way really, I'm not, I don't have any credentials to opine on his health or if he's uh, injury prone or anything like that. But, you know, it doesn't feel like he's as old as he is, but he's 29. We've now seen multiple seasons where he's having back issues. Um, and it feels to me like, when you're at the point in his career where he is, you've started to have some of these issues. Maybe you haven't fallen off yet, but they might be signaling that you're on the precipice. And if you look at advanced metrics like yards created and vacated tackles, he did post a, you know good numbers in the beginning of the season, even had some good numbers um, in week 14 against Pitt. Uh, and Drake was even playing well at that point. Uh, you know, So it kind of limited the opportunities for Johnson to score well in things like evaded tackles. Um, so it's, it's hard to make it, you know, a really strong case that he has fallen off. Um, there's some things you could point to, but it's not the greatest evidence. Uh, but you know, I guess the summary for me is I'm going to take the guess that he is falling off or he, he is washed versus he's going to have some type of resurgence. I don't think there's a great precedence for a player that's had that big of a shift from, you know, the first half to the second half, then really bouncing back and getting back to their form um, that we've seen prior from a player with a profile like Johnson's. It's a great point. That's the key. You have to handicap some of these guys, right? Tampa Bay, uh, David Johnson. These are, are key areas, folks, that I think you have to think about before your draft. I want to bang out four social debates here, Dave, and get your opinion. We're just going to go rapid fire, yep. if you will. Ketchup or mustard on a hot dog? Oh, I'll do both. I actually like putting ketchup, mustard, relish, and onions on a hot dog. That is the correct answer. I got to get a correct answer sound effect. That's correct. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Can you hear that? <laughs> Very good. Yes. Folks, that's Dave Cabin. I mean, the guy, he's now putting sound effects on other people's shows. It's really unbelievable. <laughs> that, that's what this guy does. IPAs, yes or no? Um, you know, I don't actually really drink all that often, but I'm not picky with most things, so I'll, I'll give it IPAs a thumbs up. I'd like you to pronounce the following word, R-O-U-T-E. Okay, it depends on the sentence. Like, where, where I live, people say this in a multitude of ways. If I'm talking about a receiver running a what you might call pattern i will say route uh but for example we have a road here that's used a lot called route three so i would say route three in that case depends on the sentence and finally pineapple on pizza yes um i think that people are intimidated but they profile uh, the uh flavor profiles go well we have a place in town called pizza bella that has the best hawaiian pizza in the world till you try to really good hawaiian pizza don't assume that you can't do pineapple on pizza Fair enough. I'm going to throw some dynasty names at you, and I want to hear your thoughts on the timetable for their relevancy. So I'm curious. I got asked about this today. Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy. Can you compare and contrast that with Cortland Sutton? Do you think that he will surpass Sutton at some point this year or in redraft here and dynasty will go for both? What do you think is going to happen with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy? I think both are very good players, uh, but this season belongs to Sutton. I think that we see Judy get more into the mix as things move along. You know, maybe he gets to 166 uh, PPR points on the season, but I don't think we see him being a major fantasy game fantasy contributor whereas i expect sudden to be a top 24 wide receiver this year maybe finishing as high as like 15 14 i think that there are um you know sudden has a pretty well balanced athletic profile he's 6'3 218 it's hard for me to overlook that size judy 6'1 193 so maybe this team can find a way to use them 
in in different ways. And I think they very realistically could coexist and be a strong pairing next season. I think we see Judy start to challenge Sutton, uh, but for as high as some people are on Judy, like Matthew Friedman, I I'm actually preferring Cortland Sutton at this point. Um, however, the biggest thing for these guys really is the development of Drew Locke. Can Drew Locke support them? I wasn't the biggest believer in Drew Locke entering the league. Um, last year, he was fine in clean protection, completed almost 69% of passes with a clean pocket, was at 51% when pressured. That's the type of thing, if we see him improve, would be a big step forward for him. That's something I'm hoping to see him improve. Uh, you know, and the other interesting thing was last year, you know, like I said, there were a lot of situations where he would have needed to improve his accuracy despite his receivers actually having some of the best separation in the league. So I think a lot of it for these guys really hinges upon Drew Locke and his development. Wide receiver Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. It looks like he's behind B.C. Johnson. Not exactly a, a huge vote of confidence. But what's the relationship with Thielen here? Do you see Thielen actually getting all the targets and Johnson struggling getting on the field right away? Or do you think that Thielen could draw defensive attention and maybe Jeff- Jefferson could actually have a decent year when he gets the opportunity? What's the relationship here with Jefferson and Thielen? Yeah, it's weird, right? Because Thielen has had a lot of success, but you don't think of him as one of these guys that's really going to make the defenses um, account for him. Uh, but I think that they, they they might help each other. Thielen or excuse me, Jefferson was my fourth ranked rookie wide receiver coming into the league. So I think that he has a lot of potential to be a strong receiver. Um, You know, I think that Jefferson's presence um, doesn't help Thielen more than Thielen being there helps Jefferson just because, you know, you're not going to have defenses paying a tremendous amount of attention to him to start the season. The thing that I worry, though, about for both of these guys and probably more so Jefferson, because I think that we see Thielen up somewhere around a 25 percent target share and it's going to be tough for Jefferson to draw a target share near that. But the thing that's going to be a, a challenge for them is. I have the team with just about 500 passing passing attempts, um, which is actually a bit of an increase from last year. It's approximately two more per game. Um, but, you know, as a point of reference, they only passed 30 times per 60 minutes last season. So for a rookie wide receiver who might be a little bit slow to get into the mix, slow to uh, be efficient at converting targets or receptions into fantasy points, that's going to be a challenge because there's just not going to be this huge volume for him to get. Uh, but from a long-term dynasty perspective, I, I do like Jefferson. And we mentioned him before. I'm going to lead you here. Zach Moss. Talk to me, Dave. <laughs> I mean, I'll give, I'll give Zach Moss some applause. You know, there it is. Yes. Uh, yes. As we, as we talked about uh, a lot of it just comes back to the fact that you're getting him in a, you're getting a player who has, a pretty compelling case for having a pretty strong rookie season at the running back position. You're getting him in round eight. Uh, You know, all the reasons we talked about, I like it. Well, Dave, we are taping the mailbag right now on Wednesday night. So I'm going to have to go off the show sheet on this one. Breaking news. Okay. Leonard Fournette has signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No way. So I, I am going to go and slam my head against the wall when this podcast is over. But I have, <laughs> but I have to ask you thoughts now on Tampa Bay Ronald Jones obviously down Keyshawn Vaughn's in trouble oh god what do you make of this backfield now uh 
Um, what do I make of it? I, I think <laughs> that what we're going to see actually having had, you know, no chance to actually think about this. I think that we probably see Fournette come in and be the most heavily utilized running back there. Um, I think that my gut reaction here is that he probably will be fantasy relevant is, you know, maybe a decent option. Um, I don't know how the ADP will settle out on this. So it's hard to really get a, get a, um, you know, a handle on that. Unfortunately, I think this makes Rojo not that, you know, um, attractive of a pick. My thought on ADP, I could see it going anywhere from round three to round five. What What's your initial thoughts on that? Yeah, I think he's going to skyrocket now because I just can't see, you know, you're going to sign Fournette. It's a messy backfield, but Fournette had 100 targets last year. He was a wide receiver in high school. I just don't think you sign him. I mean, Vaughn could be the future. So I think Vaughn, truthers, just hang on in Dynasty for a year. But for Ronald Jones, this is a clear sign that they don't believe in him. Are you really going to give Ronald Jones the goal line carries when you've signed Leonard Fournette for one year? Are we really doing this? So I think it hurts everyone. I think, you know, I got to be careful. You don't want to overdraft Fournette because I I don't think he's going to get 65% of the touches, but... It hurts the Rojo truthers like myself, and I think Vaughn obviously now is a drop in seasonal, and it's a hold. But again, you know, injuries can happen. But wow, they are stockpiling the oh my the talent in Tampa Bay. Oh my this goodness. is outrageous. This is outrageous. Even I think he even came on with it. Isn't twenty seven Ronald Jones's number? He came out with a gif of himself in number twenty seven. Unbelievable. Oh my god. All right, segue number two. That's terrible. Uh, we got a question from Bud in Florida, so not too bad. Uh, Minshew Mania was exciting last year. I'm expecting bigger, uh, better things in 2020. DJ Chark's a stud. LaVisca Chenault's looking good. Uh, I'm curious, am I seeing the right fantasy value in my Jaguars? Even though it seems like they're tanking, they're going to have a lot of negative game scripts. So is it possible that Chark gets a ton of volume, pulls like a, an Allen Robinson when he was on the Jags a, a few years ago? And, and what do you think about Chenault here? Yeah, so <laughs> boy, this Fournette, I'm I'm having trouble focusing my mind on the question at hand the, here. Um, the, the live show, guys, live show. Yeah, yeah. So I um think that my my reaction to um the Fournette leaving in terms of my projections for the Jaguars, I didn't really change uh the play volume between rushing and passing. I didn't add anything more. So this team's around I think six hundred passing attempts. Um I did, though, as a result of Fournette leaving, Chark got a larger piece of the targets that were available. Um, so it shifted him up about 20 points, which really put him close to like that wide receiver 15, 16 type of range. Um, I So I think, yeah, he's a great option um, this year. And I think it's possible that the bump he gets as a result of Fournette leaving isn't picked up in all drafts and represented in where you see him going. I also really love LaVisca Chenault, um, and as a result of Fournette leaving, he got a slight bump in some of the carries that I signed to him, a little bit higher receiving percentage, too. Um, I think he might be one of those players that you're going to have to use in the right spot, which is going to be hard. But having said that, I'm adding him onto a lot of my teams in those later rounds in the draft. And then... um, 
Gardner Minshew, I actually like this year as an option. My subjective projections put him as a QB1, and the range of outcomes app puts him around QB13, too. And uh, what I have seen, having done both of these processes now for a while, is when we have players that are performing well in both, they have a very strong chance of being um, you know, major fantasy contributors or, or actualizing my expectations. Um, and with where he is in his career arc, when you see a player this early, you know, doing well in the ROO, uh, you, you can feel pretty good about them. As far as the running backs go, though, uh, you know, Chris Thompson might have some value, but I'm not really going for either of the backs. I'd rather invest in a in an offense that I think is going to be better than Jacksonville's, like maybe Brian Hill and Edo Smith in Atlanta. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. Teachers are under fire in some areas, you know, trying to get back in with COVID and, and getting a lot of criticism, which I think is really unfair, to be totally honest yep. with you. Teachers are heroes, as, as Sigmund Bloom said. So why don't you give a shout out here? Any teacher you had in your life, any grade that you look back and really had a, a nice influence on you, you want to give them a thank you? Yeah, well, my, my wife's actually a teacher, so, you know, I definitely like this oh, question. Great. Great. Um, I had a teacher named Walter Lubelzik, um when I was a senior in high school who taught a law class and um he was one of these teachers that just not only really loved the topic that he was teaching but he really just liked being there with high school kids just interacting getting to know each student and uh just like the passion that he had for his class just made it um you know like such a really engaging experience and it was one of those classes where you know, like you can still remember, like he almost put on a performance in class and you can still yep. remember like everything from it because he spent so much time, I can tell, just like refining that performance just to get you excited. And um, he also made it really interactive. Like you would get to do like cases where you'd have like teams of students and you'd present your case and you'd have to use like different fact patterns that he'd provide and like different terms and stuff that you're using in the class. So, you know, just a, a great guy. So Walter LaBelle's like really loved his class. The two wide receivers, rookie wide receivers, that I was super high on but now are injured, Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Rager, which one do you prefer here? Rager could come back and just have a massive target share in, in Philadelphia, but of course he seems to have the more severe injury. Or Brandon Ayuk, who was the flavor of the month and was doing very well, but now it looks like he's going to be out week one and Debo Samuel may actually be back. So I'm curious for seasonal, do you prefer one of these rookie wide receivers more than the other? <laughs> oh God, you know, honestly, I have no idea here. Um I liked Rager a lot more than Ayuk um, coming out of school. Um, but I recently read a article on our new The Blitz feature up on Rotoviz where Sean Siegel, uh, the title actually is Ayuk week to week, but still a must draft. Uh, you know, I read some notes from Sean here and it, it is talked me onto the Ayuk uh, train here. I think it's very close though. And, um, you know, I can't really give a compelling case either way, but I, at this point, feel slightly better about Iuk, not really based upon much more than being swayed by Sean, which is, I think, generally a good path to go. Yes, I think it's very the perfect path to go, to be honest. Time for redraft lightning round. Tell me which player you like better for redraft leagues at the current ADP. Both are going very early, but if you have your choice, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. George Kittle. Cortland Sutton, which is interesting because he really is an athletic sort of wins at the point uh, at the catch point guy or Keenan Allen with a new quarterback on the Chargers, but a PPR monster. Yeah, I'm going to go Cortland Sutton. Unfortunately, um, 
Allen has reached the point for me where I'm just not as enthused about him as I used to be given, you know, a multitude of factors. Yeah, the jump the shark guy. No problem. <laughs> Tyler Boyd or Julian Edelman? Tyler Boyd. And better late round tight end here. Chris Herndon with the Jets, who, gosh, the Adam Gaze stink just affects everyone. Or Blake Jarwin, super talented, but a lot of, uh, of people want targets in that Dallas offense. Yeah, you know, a lot of people seem to be really excited about Blake Jarwin. I'm just not there, you know, given this catastrophe of a situation in New York. Uh, looks like Chris Herndon might be one of those players Sam Darnold has to rely on. You a sitcom guy, Dave? What's your favorite sitcom? Okay. Well, I am a, a tremendous fan of Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, so I'll just leave my list at two. Love both of those shows. Oh, that's perfect. That's totally perfect. Give me this year's running back or or wide receiver rookie lottery ticket. So a guy, rookie guy, who's going very late that you think has a shot to pay off this year. Uh, okay. For this, I'm going to go with Brian Edwards, especially in light of Tyrell Williams being out for the season. Um, I think if you look at the type of body profile that he has, looks like the closest thing they have to Tyrell Williams. This is also a player that broke out well before turning 18 in the SEC, had a crazy dominator rating. He's 6'3", 212. Interestingly enough, saw a lot of screens in college at South Carolina. And I think that when you're looking at this team, one thing they could do would be to actually use Edwards a fair amount in the screen game because teams might be expecting it to be rugs or if, they ha you know, if you have the possibility of using both of them. Um, so I'm going to go with him. I'm not really sure that he works out in more than like 15% of leagues or excuse me, more than like 15% of the seasons that you could simulate. Um, but, you know, when I look at this depth chart, I think, you know, maybe he's a more compelling option than Hunter Renfro to pay out with Wall and Rugg. So I'm going to go with Brian Edwards. That's a brilliant answer. Perfect. Where do you find you? Who's a truther for you? Who are you truther status for? That veteran that's kind of hanging around, as, as John Malkovic would say, hanging around. <laughs> Who's the guy that you're a truther for here and uh, it's still hanging on to in fantasy? It's Tevin Coleman. Um, ah, I, good one. Yeah, you know, I've always been a big fan of Tevin Coleman's. I still have Tevin Coleman uh, very strongly in Dynasty, waiting for the breakout. But, um, you know, this was a guy we've seen be a substantial producer at different points when he went to San Francisco. Um, you know, I was really hoping it could happen for him, but this is a team where we saw Raheem Mostert flourish, you know, in different spots. We saw Coleman with a three touchdown game in week eight against the Panthers last year. There was reason to believe before he started dealing with injury that the team wanted him to be the guy. I don't necessarily believe that Mostert is a better back than Coleman. It's the type of offense where a running back could have a really strong season, has a relationship with the coaching staff there. I think that there's a substantial chance that we see Coleman get a crack at things again, at least share work with Mostert, if not take it you know, substantially over again this year. So I'm hoping that we see another big year from uh, Coleman in 2020. Totally reasonable and absolutely in the range of outcomes. Dave, this has been the fastest hour I've ever had. We're breaking news. We're doing so much here. I can't thank you enough. Last question, then I'll get you out of here. I want the bold prediction. Deep in your soul, like you're sitting at the poker table <laughs> and you just know in your heart that they don't have it. Who's the guy that you just know, either positive or negative, that the season's going to go a certain way? Okay, this I really don't even think is that bold, but I will say Jonathan Taylor finishes as 
the RB3 uh, there it is. in 2020. I mean, I know Curtis was on last week and basically lie, laid out you know everything I'm going to say, but it really comes back to, and I've been thinking about this as we get closer to the season, that you have a player that looks like a generational talent going onto a squad with one of the best offensive lines there is. If you removed Marlon Mack from the situation, I think people would be so excited about Jonathan Taylor. But Mack is there. Naheem Hines is there. The truth is, though, if Jonathan Taylor is as good as we think he is and as good as I think he is, I just don't see how that even matters. It's kind Now, I know he's not a, you know, the type of receiver Saquon Barkley was, but if you could go back in time and, you know, really shoot your shot on Saquon Barkley in his rookie season, you definitely would. And I would say that more people were shooting it on Saquon. I think that if you believe that Jonathan Taylor is a similar type of player, you just need to go after him this year. So he's one of those few few players that's going to make me change things up in some leagues because I need to have Jonathan Taylor this season. Yep, Jonathan Taylor, league winner. I think we found a name for the podcast right there. <laughs> Folks, Dave Cabin, co-owner, senior fantasy analyst here at Rotoviz. An amazing job. He does it all. Analyzes fantasy, designs the apps. I am fairly certain that there are thousands of people who owe their league championships to the apps here at Rotoviz, and you are behind the scenes doing those. Great job. Fantastic fantasy mind. Follow him on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. Dave, great job as always, man. Looking forward to having you on again real soon. Yeah, keep it up, Mike great work on the show can't wait to uh, talk to you again thank you for listening to rotoviz radio please rate and review the podcast on itunes under the fantasy football mailbag a rotoviz radio feed contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com we'd love to hear what you think so follow us on twitter at rotoviz radio and at randall rant make sure you tell a friend and don't forget to sign up for a 10 percent discount on our podcast homepage rotoviz.com forward slash podcast it's a no-brainer folks thanks for tuning in the wait is finally over football is back you may not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager on than anywhere else you can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins division and championship futures all day every day head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses don't forget that promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.